from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Thanks for tuning in for this Wednesday edition of Washington Watch. I appreciate you making us part of your day. Well, coming up with President Biden refusing to negotiate with Republicans over an increase in the debt ceiling, Republicans in the House are moving forward with the Limit Save Grow Act, which pairs an increase in the debt ceiling with a reduction in federal spending. Joe Biden has gone into hiding, trying to run out the clock and create a debt crisis, demanding not that we address the spending problem that maxed out the credit card, but believe it or not, Joe Biden is demanding that he get another card to go max out. That was House Majority Leader Steve Scalise earlier today. Well, rather than negotiate, the president and his party appear to want to scare voters into forcing Republicans to surrender and go along with the continued overspending. The GOP's default on America Act, as we call it, does not bring us any closer to avoiding a first ever default. In fact, it only brings us dangerously closer to defaulting. That, of course, was Senate Scare Leader Chuck Schumer. We'll talk with the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, Congressman Scott Perry, in just a moment as this bill is presently on the House floor, even as we speak. Well, speaking of fear-mongering, this has become the conversation stopper of those pushing the dark transgender agenda. If you vote yes on this bill and yes on these amendments, I hope the next time there's an invocation, when you bow your heads in prayer, you see the blood on your hands. That was Montana State Representative Zoe Zephyr, a biological male who says he is a female, opposing a bill that would protect minor children from surgical and chemical experimentation. The Montana legislature barred him earlier today from the rest of the 2023 session for violating House rules. So true or false, individuals with gender dysphoria are more likely to be suicidal if they have irreversible surgeries and hormone treatments. We'll answer that question, and we're going to call out those trying to paralyze parents and others with fear and guilt. Dr. Jennifer Bowens joins me later for that conversation. And as promised, I am going to continue to discuss the sanctity of human life and why we need to continue our work protecting unborn children at every level of government. You know, the left hasn't stopped talking about it. Vice President Harris was out campaigning on it at a rally for reproductive freedom at Howard University here in Washington, D.C. yesterday. What's happening in our country right now is that these extremist so-called leaders would dare to tell us what is in our own best interest. Well, I say, I trust the women of America, I trust the people of America to make decisions about themselves. Some are saying this is uh, now a state's issue. Uh, Apparently the left hasn't gotten that memo. In fact, I have a hard time um, thinking back over the last 30 years when this was discussed as purely a state issue. And where'd that come from? We're going to talk about that with Ken Kulkowski, former lawyer in the White House and Department of Justice and a Breitbart News senior legal contributor. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. And despite all the craziness here at home being pushed by the left, we cannot take our eyes off the rest of the world. His hesitation over being too escalatory has only prolonged the war and driven up cost in terms of dollars and lives. 
Continued reluctance and indecision only empowers Vladimir Putin. And it sends all the wrong signals to Z and the Chinese Communist Party. I was Chairman Mike Rogers, chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, speaking of President Biden's hesitation to help Ukraine in their fight against Russia. I'm going to talk with Missouri Congressman Mark Alford, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, a little bit later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you happen to be on Twitter, and uh, it's a safe place now. I am on Twitter. It's at T. Perkins, if you want to keep up with me, at T. Perkins. By the way, if you were not able to take the SageCon survey yesterday after listening to my discussion with George Barna, you might want to actually go back and listen to the program if you didn't hear it. But if you were not able to take the survey, you can still take the survey and find out if you're a SageCon. What's a SageCon? Well, take the survey and find out. Simply text the word SageCon, that's S-A-G-E-C-O-N, one word, SageCon, to 67742. 67742, the word SageCon, you can take the survey. Our word for today comes from Ezekiel 40, verse 4. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you. For you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel everything you see. The prophet Ezekiel is told to make sure his eyes, ears, and mind were open to what the Lord was about to show him so that he could then share it with the rest of the people. You know, this has great relevance to us today as followers of Christ. We must listen and pay attention to the details of the words of God so that we can accurately share and declare his message with authority to those to whom he sends us. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, the House is actually voting right now on the debt ceiling uh, bill that would raise the debt ceiling and limit uh, federal spending. So we're going we're, we're gonna to have to wait for a few minutes to connect with uh, Scott Perry. I want to go to Ben Johnson, senior reporter and editor here at the Washington Stand, uh, with some top headline news. One of the big issues, Planned Parenthood and their annual report. Uh, ben, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, give us an update on some of the top news items today. Right. In the Planned Parenthood report for the 2021-2022 year, uh, they revealed that they committed 374,155 abortions last year, and they received $670.4 million, billion, uh, $670.4 million in U.S. taxpayer funding. Uh, that's more than 1,000 babies aborted every single day, the second highest number of abortions the organization has ever committed. And it's worth pointing out, though, that that's 9,305 abortions fewer than they committed last year. So uh, that's something worth celebrating. The report also shows that the heavily abortion-focused group moved significantly into providing transgender cross-hormone injections over the last year. 41 of the 49 affiliates of Planned Parenthood currently offer those services to uh, those who are involved and uh, suffer from gender dysphoria. They also bragged about uh, creating something called Tone, which uh, they describe as two volumes of self-care playlists for black women, Latinas, and non-binary folks with tracks of affirmations and meditations uh, for those who are suffering from gender dysphoria. The total amount of uh, federal funding that they received during uh, this full report, which is the first one to fully reflect the amount uh, of uh, funding provided by the Biden administration, shows that uh, there was an increase of about $37 million this year over last year. That's about uh, almost a 6% increase even though they had fewer abortions, which is, of course, the big moneymaker. So, so, Ben, that uh, increase in funding primarily coming from the federal level? 
That's right. The federal level, as far as we're able to tell, it's it's list, lumped all together. But uh, it's certainly reflective of the Biden administration and its new policies, which, again, this is the first report to fully reflect uh, the fact that this is coming uh, from the Biden administration. Between 2021-2022, all other kinds of actual health care, uh, prenatal services, carriage, uh, caring for those who suffer from miscarriages or pregnancy tests were all down. Uh, contraceptive uh, care and uh, other, other forms of federally funded uh, provisions were, in fact, increased. So, so, Ben Johnson, when you look at the overall uh, budget of Planned Parenthood, uh, you know, it's a nonprofit but oftentimes they show a profit. What what, uh, what did they take in this year that is above and beyond their expenses? Was that reported? It was uh, almost $205 million, $204.7 million to be specific, uh, of what is known as excess revenue above and beyond their expenses. So uh, that gives them total assets of well over $2.7 billion. And uh, this is a massive increase for those who've been following it for some time. In 1990, uh, they were bragging that they had just broken the $100 million aspect. Even with Biden inflation, this is a significant increase, which we've seen year on year. I have to tell you, Ben, that's a little troubling. When you look at an organization like this sitting on $2 billion, and now we're actually seeing them closing clinics, and they're moving more to the abortion pill, which we know now last numbers that we have that are pretty accurate, uh, 53, 54% of abortions performed through the abortion drug. So there's very little overhead with that. What are they going to do with $2 billion? Well, you can increase your funding for one, for uh, salaries and so on. You can hire more people. But then also that can be used for uh, funding so-called charitable activities. But a lot of that, as we know, involves uh, either sexual education, which they brag about increasing over the past year, uh, or about uh, if it can be used in some increments in order to lobby the federal government and other politicians. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, let me stop you on that for just a second here. So this is an issue we've raised before, that this is an entity that is getting federal funding, and that's one of the things they lobby for, so they can actually churn this money and use it in such a way, either either offset their lobbying costs by paying uh, with the federal dollar something else, their overhead, which frees up money for them to lobby. So essentially, they're taking tax dollars that are, they're getting from hardworking Americans who are opposed to their agenda, and they're using that to get more tax dollars. It's a circular cash flow, essentially. Planned Parenthood takes some of the money that uh, it has from previous year's excess revenue. They give it to politicians, almost 100% associated with the Democratic Party and the Biden administration. And then the Biden administration increases how much taxpayer funding goes back to them. So it's a circular cash flow with taxpayer funding, even though most Americans are against taxpayer-funded abortions, 70% overseas and something about uh, like 58% of Americans in the most recent survey say they oppose taxpayer-funded abortion at home. And yet they have no choice. Their funds are being compelled to be used to violate their conscience. So so this would be, in in my view, Ben Johnson, another example of elections have consequences where you see even in a time where, you know, we're talking about we don't have money for this. We don't have money for that. The president says we can't cut the budget. That Planned Parenthood is getting more money from taxpayers. 
It is, and, and again, even though uh, the services that are being provided uh, are shrinking in many cases, actual healthcare services. And also, there's an interesting uh, tidbit in this, which talks about the uh, way that elections are uh, important, they have consequences, which is, of course, the Dobbs decision. The report says that uh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. They call the decision heartbreaking. But as we said, there were 9,300 fewer abortions this year. One, one of the things that's been left out of a lot of the reporting, even on the pro-life side, is their fiscal year runs through June 30th of last year. The Dobbs decision came down on June 24th. So clearly not all of that has to do with the actual decision itself and the pro-life laws which followed uh, in the wake of that uh, wonderful decision. But it, it, it tells us that even the threat of a national pro-life movement and something that will restrict uh, abortion, that will uh, allow greater protection for the unborn, will is, uh, is enough to reduce the number of abortions that are committed every year by a significant, uh, significant level. All right, uh, Ben Johnson, thanks so much for, uh, for that report. Always good to see you. Thank you. Uh, all right, folks, uh, the House voting on the debt limit bill. In fact, uh, Congressman Perry, I think we have him by phone. We're going to get a quick update from him on the other side of the break as the House has, uh, is voting on that measure. So don't go away. On the other side of the break, we're going to take a look at what's happening in the House and what might be next for this pairing of a raising of the debt ceiling with a reduction in federal spending. Also going to be joined a little bit later by Jennifer Bowens to talk about the scare tactics of the left when it comes to the transgender agenda. So a lot more Washington Watch coming up, so don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace the their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be disciples their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. 
Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. As I said, the House is actually voting right now on the debt ceiling bill that would uh, pair the debt ceiling, raising the debt ceiling with a reduction in federal spending. And so this is the exciting aspect of uh, live programming. You never know what's going to be happening, but we've got a great team here at the Family Research Council in Washington Watch that keeps us moving forward. So uh, members of the House worked early uh, into the early hours of the morning so they could work out the details of the Limit, Save, Grow, Grow Act. That, as I mentioned, now on to the House floor, voting as we speak. Joining me now by phone to talk about this, Congressman Scott Perry. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, House Transportation Infrastructure Committee. He's also the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus that's played a key role in bringing votes together for this. Uh, Congressman Perry, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, uh, Tony, and thanks to the FRC. Listen, like you said, voting is happening right now, and, you know, uh, for most people, this is just another day in the saga of Washington. But uh, to frame this correctly, as far as I know, in modern times, this has never happened before. This is yet another one of the things that has never happened before, like uh, like single subject bills that came out of the speaker's um, uh, uh, contest earlier this year. So for the first time, yeah, we are voting to raise the debt ceiling. But this is the first time there, that there is a requirement to actually cut spending at the same time. And if you even go back to, I think it was 2011, with cut, cap, and balance, right. there were no real cuts in the first year, and it was everything was essentially capped. Right. Now, that, that didn't prevail because, uh, you know, what happened in the Senate. But, you know, the prevailing wisdom in Washington is, is that the House of Representatives has to cave in to Joe Biden and to Chuck Schumer in the Senate and just raise this debt ceiling because we can't pass something. Uh, we have a very narrow majority, as you know, Tony, and we have worked for months. And right up until about 4 o'clock last uh, – 4 o'clock in the morning last night to get this thing to where we can pass it. And, Tony, it is the beginning of the conversation. But what it does is it says to the president, who has said all along, I will not negotiate and I don't have to negotiate because you can't pass anything – it shows him that we can pass something, and he has no choice except to negotiate. We are not going to be raising the debt ceiling and continuing this trajectory of unbridled spending for things that we can't afford and actually don't want. And the House is going to put a marker down. We don't know where it's going to end right now, Tony, but this is a, quite honestly, another historic moment um, in modern times here in Congress where we are we are bucking the trend. 
and in a, in, a, in a circumstance where we have one portion of the legislature, and generally speaking, we're supposed to be in a completely defensive posture, we are on offense, and, and I will also take some pride in this, Tony. Ninety uh, percent of this bill has been, has been written by uh, the, the, the House Freedom Caucus, and we are driving and pulling our entire conference, and with this, the entire Congress, to the right, to the right side of principles that we cannot keep spending and bankrupting our country. We cannot keep spending on things that uh, that provide the ammunition for the government to be weaponized against its citizens. And so this really is a, a landmark uh, a, a occasion at this moment. I, I don't want to celebrate it because it is raising the debt ceiling moderately, um, but, but this does set a different tone well, in Washington, D.C. that we haven't really seen in our lifetime. And, and I will vouch for all of that. Uh, you are absolutely correct. I've, I've watched this process for 20 years. I've even watched the Republicans when they were in the majority and they had the numbers. I mean, as you said, you have a very narrow margin to work with. I was talking to the House Speaker last night uh, and he was a few votes short. Uh, and, and, and it looks like it, some of those in the Iowa caucus came along over the ethanol issue. But the, the reality is, even when Republicans had a large margin to work with, they never, never drove a stake in the ground and stood right. on principle. That is a exactly. sea change here in Washington, D.C. You're absolutely right. And, and I will tell you this. Look, like I said, this is the beginning of the conversation. But almost predictably, we're going to hear that the Senate doesn't want to take it up. And this is dead on arrival and so on and so forth. Coming from a Senate that has provided no work in this uh, this you know matter has has pr produced no product, but they think that they're going to be able to tell the American people no the House just has to eat it. Well, the House has just passed something, or is about to pass something. Let me just say that the House is about to pass something. But when we do, it's not the the House that's going to have to accept this clean debt ceiling and just continued unbridled spending. It is the Senate that's going to have to sit down and get to work and actually do something responsible and, and literally stick up for the American people as opposed to thumbing their nose at the, what the American people actually want. Look, you got to train people that have, uh, that have not been on a winning team before what winning looks like. And, and, Tony, you're seeing this. It started in January. It is now the end of April. And, look, we are – I think we're on a roll here, and this is, this is progress for the American people. This is a reason to be optimistic even in the face of, a, of horrific leadership uh, coming out of the White House and those policies that come with it. There, is, it lo there looks like there's a reason to be optimistic because there is some light at the end of the tunnel. The Republicans are in the fight. We need to make sure that we steal the speaker's spine so that when the Senate sums back, comes back with something that we can't accept, that we do not accept it and we force them to do the right thing. Well, and so far, as you said, from January, we've seen a – a uh, succession of uh, decisions that the the speaker has made. He has he has stuck to his word. He has kept his word. The Senate, they're fear mongering. I mean, that's that's the only thing they fall back on. But here's something they need to consider: the the Republicans have actually kept their word and and done exactly what they said they were going to do when they elected this speaker. So they need to realize: I don't think you guys are going to cave. Well, that's, that's the point. We're not going to cave. And so especially for those weak-kneed senators over there that always work with the Democrats, this is a message to them that uh, you need to stick with your Republican colleagues. 
um, that are conservative, that uh, that want to do the, the work of the American people and drag those Democrats out into the open and, and make sure that everybody knows if they're not going to vote with the American people and they're going to continue to vote to bankrupt the country, that there are going to be consequences. And that's going to start uh, very soon in the primary season, and, and they're, they're going to be put on notice. So this, this not only encourages uh, the American people that there's a fight and there's a fighting spirit in, in this House of Representatives, but that that can be translated to the Senate yeah. and, and, and that, you know, we can expect our senators, and now we do expect our senators to stand up and stand for us. Definitely needed. Definitely needed. Uh, Chairman Scott Perry, thanks so much for uh, stepping off the floor to talk with us. Absolutely. God bless you. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. All right. Coming up next, abortion, a state issue. We're going to talk about that. Don't go away. We're back after this. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Also, if you were not able to take the SageCon survey yesterday, you can take it. You can still take it. Text the word SageCon, S-A-G-E-C-O-N, to 67742, 67742, and you'll get a link. Take the survey, and you'll get the results. With the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade last summer, the Supreme Court returned the issue of abortion to policymakers from whom they seized the issue 50 years ago. Though the states once again have the opportunity to uphold the sanctity of human life, something I did at the state level and was challenged in court, well, the court has also opened the door for federal legislation to protect unborn babies. It's not like this is just for the states, but some pro-life 
national legislators have raised concerns that any federal legislation that might be passed, such as Senator Lindsey Graham's proposed uh, pain-capable legislation, you know, at 15 weeks when a baby's sucking their thumb, would pose legal challenges for stronger legislation at the state level and somehow should be off the table. Well, you know, I, I must have missed that in my 30 years and my and my time in the pro-life movement actively involved was almost 30 years to the date of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. I never heard legislators here in Washington, D.C. saying this was a state's issue. I mean, the Republican Party platform attempted to pass uh, or called for a human rights amendment. That's federal. has to be approved by the states, but it starts out here. So where did this come from? Join me now to, uh, to help clear up any confusion from a legal perspective is Ken Klukowski, former senior counsel in the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice and former special counsel in the White House Office of Management and Budget. He's, a, he's, also, a litigated constitution, he's also litigated constitutional cases before the U.S. Supreme Court. Ken, uh, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Oh, it's great to be with you, Tony. Thanks for having me. So the Supreme Court decision, unlike what the left would like to say, did not ban abortion. It simply returned the issue to policymakers. That includes those at the state level. But that doesn't mean this is only an issue for the states. Or did I miss something? You're exactly right on that, Tony. It's, uh, as you know, having been a state legislator yourself, we, we have a federal system uh, in this country. You have federal lawmakers in Congress. And you have state lawmakers in the 50 state legislatures across the country. Now, when it comes to issues of public health, public safety, personal responsibility and morality, and general social welfare, those are the four headings of what we call the police power. And that's something that state governments have. Again, you would have voted on many of those laws yourself. But then you do have uh, the, the various powers of Congress under Article One, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, and there are a number of those federal powers that would also have to do with abortion. They're different, uh, and states, I think, certainly between the two have more of the leading role, but there's a role both for state governments, for state lawmakers, and for federal lawmakers, all of them answerable to the voters when it comes to the issue of abortion. And the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs is perfectly consistent with that. So let me ask you a question about the Dobbs decision. Was there something in there I missed, tucked away, that said, we now turn this back over to the states and only state legislators have a policy role in the issue of abortion? Uh, not at all. In fact, uh, Justice Alito, writing for the court, said that they were turning the matter over to elected lawmakers, people who would answer to the voters. And again, that could be your state senator or it could be one of your two U.S. senators in Washington, D.C. So I, I agree with you from a standpoint of I think running point on this issue are state legislators. In fact, we wouldn't be having this discussion if it were not for state legislators willing to push the envelope and advance the sanctity of human life. And we've seen that over the last decade, uh, really since really 2010 is when we saw this aggressive push at the state levels after we saw Republicans take control of so many state legislative bodies. Um, but but I want to match the rhetoric that we're hearing here in Washington, D.C., out of actually some of our conservative friends uh, who are pro-life. I don't question their pro-life credentials. 
But all of a sudden, these same ones who were advocating for a 20-week bill, they voted for it, which was at the time the science said that's when the pain was experienced. Uh, those that have rightfully been defending the um, uh, limitation on government funding of abortion, the Hyde Amendment. But now all, all of a sudden they've lost their, uh, I don't know, their, their fight for this issue, and they're moving it, saying it's all about the states. I, I, I just, it, it's not adding up to me. Well, I'll tell you, Tony, many of our, our viewers would be familiar with anyone in business, anyone who's part of a large commercial enterprise knows that you've got federal laws and you've got state laws. And many of those things overlap. You have state employment laws. You have federal employment laws. When it comes to something like highway funding, for example, uh, a lot of uh, highway money comes from the states, but there can also be federal grants, and then the federal government can attach conditions for that grant. Uh, so if your state says uh, no roads in this state are going to have a speed limit over 70 miles an hour, but then if Congress says, but if you want to get federal money for your roads, no one can go over 65 miles yeah. per hour. And they've done well, that. Well, if you want to get that money, you're going to have to live by both sets of laws. And they've done that. And they, they do that exactly all the time. Right. They do that all the time. Uh, Ken Kulkowski, we're out of time, but I, I thank you for joining us and clearing that up, that there was nothing in the Dobbs decision saying that this was a state's only issue. Good to see you. Thank you. You too. God bless. All right, folks, don't go away, because coming up, in response to legislation that protects children from experimental surgeries and drugs, a Montana Bud Light legislator, he's a transgender that identifies as a uh, woman, uh, he's been booted out, but he's using fear-mongering, guilt, to try to uh, shame his colleagues, and they said enough of this. We're going to talk about this, uh, this Trump card, if you will, that the left wants to use. Don't go away. We're back after this. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. 
You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged, be in the know, and stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. All right, a lot happening here in the nation's capital, but this is not the only place where things are happening. This afternoon, state legislators in Montana voted to censure Zoe Zephyr, a member of the State House of Representatives and a biological man who identifies as a woman. Now, earlier this month, after Montana lawmakers passed legislation to protect children from dangerous gender procedures, uh, Zephyr made, a floor, made floor remarks accusing backers of the bill of having blood on their hands. Now, this is not something new. Zephyr's comments mirrors those often made by transgender activists who claim that denying children such procedures will lead them to make harmful decisions, including suicide. But is that true? Does the evidence suggest something else? Is this designed just to shut down the conversation and put guilt on people and paralyze them with fear? Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Jennifer Ballins, the director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council. Prior to her work here at the Family Research Council, she worked as a clinician and researcher addressing the effects of psychological trauma. She also testified before the Montana Senate in support of this legislation that we're talking about. Jennifer, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's good to be with you, Tony. All right, it's been a tense situation in the Montana State House for more than a week now. You were in uh, Helena earlier in this year testifying uh, before a Senate committee, a state Senate committee on the issue. Can, can you provide some additional context to, to what I mentioned about uh, Zephyr making these comments that if you vote for this bill, you'll have blood on your hands? Yeah. First of all, I just want to commend the um, Montana legislators for passing this bill to protect children and for their courage, because uh, it takes tremendous courage to fight um, the transgender activists who, who really want to, in my, my view, um, harm children rather than keep them safe. 
So um, that's the context in which we've been testifying in different state houses is to really uh, protect kids from what should be, um, it should be by all measures, uh, not something that's rocket science here. Well, it appears to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, all right, uh, feel free to do that. But this is like scare tactics. They, they don't provide. It's just one of those things that, uh, that in a debate you just throw this thing out there and it just kind of shuts it all down. It's like, well, God told me, and 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 then I mean, who's going to question that? So these kids are going to kill themselves if you vote for this bill. But that's not what the evidence suggests, is it? No, that's not at all what the evidence suggests. In fact, it suggests the opposite that um, there are more complications when kids go through transgender procedures. And and look, I mean, we have to keep this in perspective. Um, when have you seen any scientific uh, issue come into this level of debate and protest? I mean, at the end of the day, we're talking about, is this intervention, quote unquote intervention, um, helpful or not? And so we are presenting data and and uh, unpacking the research that's been done on on this issue, saying that it reduces mental health distress. And we've shown over and over again, country after country has shown that this is not an effective strategy. And so what's left for the other side when all of the chips are on the table and it's clear that this is not helpful is um, to use fear tactics. And I think for um, this one particular legislator who's obviously bought into this, the lie that you can be somebody else, that you could be another um, sex other than what you were born with. Um, when, you've, when you've invested all of your life uh, into that identity, of course you're gonna um, get really angry when um, the evidence is shown before you that this is not possible, that you cannot transform your biological sex. So would the evidence suggest, you, you said that the opposite is true, would the evidence suggest that those that actually go through this process of mutilating healthy bodies, doing in many cases irreversible surgeries and hormone treatments, that the risk of suicide and depression actually goes up? Yeah, um, it was study that we mention a lot because uh, because of the accessibility of um, the the medical system that they have in Sweden, where they track national data on everyone. Um, we are able; they were able to determine that those who went through transgender procedures were 19 times more likely to commit suicide. So we certainly have that um, piece of a, a data point at our disposal, but we also can look at just what we know um, from other data points, not even the transgender literature, but when we look at those who are going through transgender procedures, many of them have trauma histories, autism, high levels of uh, social media exposure. And we know that those are risk factors for suicidal thoughts as well. So the reality is, if we just factored out the transgender issue altogether, a lot of the folks that are saying they're suicidal or have suicidal ideation would have that regardless of any kind of trans identification. So, so you, yeah. you've made the point previously, and, and I'll make sure I get this correct, 
that normal protocol would be for those, let's, let's, as you just said, let's push the transgender issue aside for just a moment. If someone had, came and, and they had depression and they were inclined toward self-harm, the normal protocol would be for, for counseling, would it not? It wouldn't be to, to start treating them uh, with you know, surgeries and, and irreversible treatments, would it not? That's right. That's right. You would look for underlining conditions. And, and I would just say to anyone who's listening and has a, a child or a family member, someone you care about who's struggling with this, if you're seeing a therapist and they're, they're saying, you know, you, what's going to help you is to transition, that is a lie. And anyone who coerces you on a path to changing who you are, uh, that is that is not healthy. It's manipulation. And, you know, I can say this on this program uh, because we were, a lot of us are coming from a biblical worldview. Uh, manipulation is witchcraft. Uh, it is a form of witchcraft. And the Holy Spirit leads people and guides and shepherds and is gentle. Um, he, there's times when he is he is forceful, but he is a leader and he will lead with peace. And when you feel that manipulation and control, and that this is the only way or only path you have, uh, just know that that's not coming from a good source. And whether it's from a, a professional uh, with all kinds of credentials or not, that is that is not um, that is not a healthy pathway. It is not a good mental health practice either. So, Jennifer, that would then apply. To, to lawmakers as well that are considering this and people say, oh, no, you can't do this because this is going to lead uh, to people killing themselves. That's manipulation. That's, That's manipulation. I mean, it's, so it's not just the individuals that are being led down this path, but as a culture, if we're being led down this path by fear and guilt, and this would apply to parents and grandparents who are dealing with children who through social media contagion, through indoctrination, if you will, in the schools or wh wherever they're picking this up from their peers. And we've seen a spike in this. So we know something's happening. Uh, we shouldn't be operating out of a place of fear and guilt. Yeah. Yeah, we shouldn't be legislating from a place of fear and guilt. Um, we should be legislating to health, not um, not out of uh, someone who's throwing a tantrum because they don't get their own way. Uh, if we if we change all of our laws because someone throws a fit, uh, yeah, we're going to be in trouble. And, you know, it's like the kid in the grocery store <laughs> that throws a fit. If we if we uh, change everything we're doing to accommodate the, that childish behavior, um, we're going to be in trouble. And and this really. I just have to say this again. This is not based on science because we've shown over and over again um, the the problems with the science that's used to scaffold this issue. And we're dealing with something that's way beyond good practice. And we need to recognize that that there are um, obviously spiritual forces at play here. But also we have there is no scientific basis to this uh, treatment. And and also as it comes down to from research onto practice, uh, this current pathway, um, which I just talked to a psychologist yesterday who has a client who um, just mentioned that she might have some um, gender dysphoria 
and she told my friend, uh, you know, I don't know if I would actually have this if my if my trauma was healed. She literally said wow. that. So, you know, it, so if you have a therapist who's who's not willing to look at the other issues that might be contributing to the problem, I'd say get yourself another therapist. Well, the, the big takeaway here, Jennifer, is we, we shouldn't be making decisions out of a place of fear of manipulation, and that's what we see happening across the spectrum uh, here right now on this issue. Uh, J- Dr. Jennifer Bowens, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to join us. Good to be with you, Tony. All right. Uh, as I mentioned, the House voting on a measure that would raise the debt ceiling, but in conjunction with lowering spending. Well, there's many other issues that we talked about. Uh, what's happening with uh, Ukraine and Russia? What's happening with China? We cannot be distracted. I mean, we got to keep our eye on the ball here domestically, but we also have to keep an eye on what is happening overseas. We've got China. We've got Taiwan. It is a very, very dangerous world. Joining me now in studio to discuss this and more, Congressman Mark Alford. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee, the House Agriculture Committee, and the House Committee on Small Business. He represents the 4th Congressional District of Missouri. Congressman Alford, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. Good to be here. Well, thanks for running uh, from the House chamber and making it over <laughs> here. Yeah, you did. I think we broke about three traffic laws. But yeah, we well, that's right. I, I, I'll give you a little grace here. <laughs> Thank you. So let's uh, – we really don't have time to go into the debt ceiling. We talked about that earlier with uh, Congressman Scott Perry. I really want to talk uh, what's happening overseas because that's an issue you've been focused on. Sure. Are we distracted as a nation? We are, Tony. Uh, we have to be ready for the, the most serious threat to our nation, that being the Communist Chinese Party, the government that is uh, – I equate it to the big bad wolf – Uh, We need to make sure that our house is made of brick and not straw. That means rebuilding our military, making sure we have the assets in place, making sure we have the ammunitions uh, in place. A lot of that has been spent in Ukraine. We've got to rebuild our supplies, and we do not have time to wait. There are some generals saying that we could be in a conflict with communist China by 2027. Others are saying a little bit later. But we need to make sure now that we are ready uh, and and to to be the best deterrent we can. Deterrence is the is the best option. Agree, but it's not just a matter of material. Um, it's also a matter of focus and policy. Yesterday, I had Senator Tuberville on the program. You know, he's uh, holding up a number of promotions to general officers because of the military's right. policy on abortion. That could go away tonight if the if the uh, Biden administration would simply go back to the previous policy exactly and and live within the confines of the law this administration is intent on bringing woke uh, diversity equity and inclusion into our military and turning our generals into politicians and not military leaders we grilled um, uh, joint chiefs of staff uh, chairman about this and secretary of defense Austin uh, they need to know that we are not accepting this in the House Armed Services Committee and the Senate Armed Services Committee as well. We've got to get back to doing the job of protecting America, putting America first, our interests first, our national security. And when we are dividing our military, as they are trying to do, one of the things that I said during our, our question and answers uh, with the committee a couple of weeks ago is if we went across the Potomac River right now, and we walked among those white gravestones of the brave warriors who gave their lives for our nation. We looked down. Could we tell what color of the skin 
of the people lying in those coffins? They said no. I said if a Chinese communist um, military person was pointing a gun at one of our soldiers, are they going to ask what pronouns before they shoot? No, they don't care. The things that our military is putting forth front right now that they are saying we should care about do not matter to our readiness. Biggest threat to the United States when you look at the global landscape? I do believe it is. And and the problem is America is asleep, Tony. We have uh, kids walking around, even adults with TikTok. Uh, they won't take uh, our facts on this that is a spy instrument from the Communist Chinese Party. And we have the president of the United States inviting influencers into the White House and going to give them a briefing room. We sent a letter to the president saying, you cannot do this. We have not gotten an answer back yet. And and every American bears responsibility here to, to make a difference. Part of it is where our products come from. We're supporting the Chinese Communist Party when we buy things from China. Cheap computers. Wi-Fi systems have infiltrated our municipal governments. Uh, They're able to look at our red light cameras. Now people are saying, well, what's the big deal about that? They have their tentacles in everything we do. Tony, you remember when you and I grew up, things were made in America. We were proud to have things made in America. We've got to get that attitude back. Walmart started that way. I remember that. Nothing was sold in Walmart that wasn't made in America. Everything made in the USA. Uh, Congressman, we're out of time. Thank you for coming to the studio and joining us here. Uh, Congressman Alford, we look forward to talking to you more in the future. I would appreciate that. Thank you. All right. And, folks, I want to thank you for joining us as well. And, by the way, you can still take that SAGECON survey. Text the word SAGECON to 67742. And, Lord willing, we'll be back again tomorrow. I hope you will as well. Until then, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything that you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 